0: Here, let's give them the greatest big welcome in the world, the world-famous Purple Helmets on
1: program. For 27 years, the Purple Helmets have been entertaining crowds in the Isle of Man. This year is going to be their final year performing together. In this part one of a two-part program, Jim Davidson and Derry Kisick from the Purple Helmets share with me their memories. How did the helmets get started?
0: Well, it's quite well-documented, Simon, that... At the time, uh, I was the chairman of the Southern Motorcycle Club, and we didn't have much money. But we'd um, we'd always helped Steve Colley uh, as a young rider to to better his career, and he needed to travel away quite a bit to pursue that. And uh, we had sponsored him uh, a few well, a few quid over the years. And I had an idea that to make some money for the club, we needed to do some kind of a show, and. Um, possibly charge a bit of money at the gate or whatever, so we thought we'd do a pilot show and um, get Steve Colley if he was willing, and of course he was always a gentleman, Steve uh, offered to offered his services but uh, he said that he could really do with a back-up act uh, to give his wrists a rest give his arms a rest um, from his uh, vigorous stunting performance so uh, I had a word with uh, some of the lads who were uh, the sheep skulls at the time which is the enduro arm of what is now the Purple Helmets the sheep skulls um, had been riding for quite a few years in the British enduro championships and uh, eight of them uh, thought they would put a bit of a show together just to back up Steve Colley for one night actually Simon that's all it was for and was, this was 1995 19, it? as far back as that 95 and um, they decided they'd do a show well some of them said, "Well, we've never actually done a show where we're, we're the sheep school and Euro riders." and they had the big coats at the time. And uh, they said, "Well, what would we call ourselves?" And I think somebody said, "Well, we'd be a bit like the white helmets, the famous royal signals team, army team. And somebody else laughed and they said, "Be a bit more like the purple helmets." <laughs> <laughs> and he did a hand gesture at the same moment. And uh, someone else uh, intervened and said, well, why not call ourselves world-famous? Simply because nobody had ever heard of us, tongue-in-cheek as, as ever, uh, dark glasses for anonymity. And um, <laughs> that's how it was, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, nobody had heard of us, so we were world-famous.
1: It's, it's, and that's it, how it came about. It's amazing, really, because I mean, some of the guys, uh, you know, obviously we'll talk about later, but very, very good motorcyclists, off road uh, you know, riders. Oh, yeah. And it, I mean, I don't suppose they were renowned for sort of performance or <laughs> things like that, were they? Well, one or two, ge- well, I would go as far as
0: to say genius. There is some genius in some of them that they think outside the box more in the pub than outside the box really but some of the funny things that come out when we when we do get together, it's legendary to this day that um, they've got to be good riders I always compared it in my commentary to uh, Les Dawson playing the piano badly you've got to be very good to be very bad and um, this is how it came about there were no slouches, the lads had to be able to perform with a touch of genius and of course they needed to like beer that was one of the the vital things they had to like a drink or two uh socially of course <laughs> yeah. but not um, not during the performances like some would think well occasionally you know
1: <laughs> <laughs> if they still had a bit in the bottom of the glass maybe but um but what about the the, the bikes themselves i mean the renowned for for the the bulletproof really and they had to be the Honda C90s was, was that always the choice or did they do it on, well, on that, proper Well, there, there is bikes? a story
0: to that as well because uh, some years before when they did attend the British Enduro Championships there was a, a journalist called Mike Rapley and he's still around um, if, if you're watching if you're listening to this Mike uh, hello because he was partly responsible for this he thought that the uh, the Manx lads um, were lowering the tone of the enduro by uh, w- putting these sheep skulls on the front mudguards of their bikes they were the sheep skull enduro riders with bleached out bone skulls off the mountains of the Isle of Man
1: uh, and they were serious about
0: objecting to and he was he was quite serious quite, mm. um, quite stuffy about it really and he said that uh, the Manx lads were lowering the tone well one or two of them thought well in typical Manx fashion he thought well We'll show what lowering the tone is all about. We'll get some big army coats and we'll get um, uh, some old Honda 90s and see what you think of that. And really, I suppose, he's partly responsible for the formation of the Purple Helmets. Really? And Jimmy can probably tell you more about the Hondas than me. He's still got his original bike, Jim,
2: haven't you? I have, yeah. I bought mine. Mine was uh, originally a pizza delivery bike when I bought mine, 1996, and it had a, a rack on the back for the pizzas which i had to remove um and it's still it's a bit like Trigger's broom really i mean i've still got the same same logbook same motor same chassis i mean it's had a few you know incarnations in between but it's still the same bike um but all the bikes uh, were based on Honda 90s you weren't allowed to have anything but a Honda 90 that was the rules
1: not even um, a 70
2: well, you could have a seventy. And yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. Some of the seventies were were fairly quick, but nothing bigger than ninety cc. So that when we were racing through the tracks and things, everybody was on equal bikes.
0: Same colour, Jim. They're still painted black. matte black. Everything had to be painted matte black, <laughs> including the crash helmets.
2: And um, although there was one year, wasn't there, where uh, we were down at um, we used to do a lot of work down at Wilson and Collins factory down in Belfame. A lot of the preparations. And one of the guys one night hadn't turned up for one of the work parties that we used to do down there. So uh, one of the lads had the gun with the red lead in it. So they decided that as this other lad hadn't turned up, we were going to respray his bike. bike. So we <laughs> we resprayed the bike completely, everything: tires, chain, seat, the lot, even the headlights. And red the, oxide. It was red yeah. oxide. The whole bike was red oxide.
1: Yeah, but I mean. What, what was the first, on that first occasion with Steve Colley? I mean, what sort of stunts were performed on that well, one? Well, they they were... Do you remember the first sort of ones they did? We remember it very well. Mm.
0: And um, I think, just to cap that, when when it was on, we, we had Roy Moore there, there that night, a great friend of ours, Roy, um, who was commentating, because he is still an authority, actually, on Steve Colley. He knew everything he'd done. And um, we invited Roy to come along to commentate. Well, when he saw the purple helmets for the first time, he was almost speechless because um, <laughs> he'd never seen anything like it. And the impact, I have to say, this time, and even after all these years, the first time you see the big coats appear with the noise of the little Hondas, the impact of it is in your brain forever. And Roy couldn't stop. Uh, he was actually looking at and thinking well what am i going to say about this and uh, we hadn't primed him in any way he didn't know what to expect and uh, when one or two crashed as they do he said oh oh dear me they've had a crash you see so i was standing near him and i said well they're actually supposed to crash right so then he got the gist of it and uh, it turned out to be a fantastic little performance but it was up the back of the testing station at Tramode and rather than an amphitheatre the ground sloped away from the tarmac, it sloped downhill so the further back you got you couldn't see a thing and the ones at the front could just peep over the footpath to see the wheels, well it was quite amazing and uh, Steve Colley actually rode a couple of the bikes over the scrap cars we had there for him and uh, he thought it had a bit of mileage in it And um, he was riding over my wagon at the time, my Ford wagon. Steve was riding over the top of it, but he didn't ride over it on the Hondas, I have to say. (laughs) He he didn't chance that. (laughs) But uh, that impact, uh, I I don't know how to put it to you, really. The impact when you see those coats for the first time and these sombre-looking guys with the the dark glasses and they're not supposed to smile because it's tongue-in-cheek, obviously. Mm. Look at us, we're world-famous. Well, I um, have to say, that's gone by the board
1: a bit lately. People do tend to laugh. Mm. and um, but, but how did it develop from then? I mean, how did it gather momentum? Um, obviously, and I think uh, people were talking about it, and people who had seen it. Yeah, the big step forward, really, would be
0: in 96, the year after. We sort of realised there's a lot of mileage in this. It's not just for one night. And the crowd was still talking about it the following year. So we decided... We'd have to get a better venue. And I remember I rang um, Mervyn Wynn it was, at the corporation, and I said, what about hire us the ball, King George V Park, for the night? He said, well, you can, he said, but uh, it's £12.50, you know. <laughs> and I said, I said oh, I said, I didn't realise that. Oh, yes, he said that the groundsman has to come and lock up after, and we have to pay him time and a half to come and lock the gate i said all oh, right okay then well i'll bear that in mind <laughs> and so that, that seems quite incredible now that you could hire king george park uh, the bull for 12 pounds 50 but um, it seemed better to to me that maybe if we tried hunken stadium so we went up there and i think steve collins came with me and we went up and had a meeting with the commissioners well some of them had seen the purple helmets and some of them hadn't So it was quite a job to explain to them why we wanted the stadium. And at the time, nobody did hire the stadium. It was just an empty place that had go-karts. Well, we eventually did a deal and I think we had to pay as much as £18, which was quite a lot of money at the time. (laughs) Well, no, it wasn't, actually. I um, I think they thought we were taking the mickey because they said, well, how much would you be prepared to pay for the stadium? I said, well, I'm not here on my own... Uh, on behalf of me I said I'm here on behalf of the Southern Motorcycle Club a non-profit making organisation and uh, we have been quoted £12.50 by Douglas Corporation bear that in mind and they all looked at one another and they said well could you manage a bit more and I said well we might go to 18 and they, they all agreed and we came out of there laughing our heads off to be honest because it was for nothing it really was but it was a gamble We had to get police, we had to get gate people, we had to get tickets printed. It was a big, big step forward, believe me, to go into a stadium, likely to hold thousands, Mm -hmm. as against a a poor amphitheatre that cost nothing, but nobody could
2: see. The (laughs) other thing as well was that when we looked at the stadium, we realised that it was a a big place to do stunts. So we had to then come up with new ideas about you know what we could do to fill in the time Allotted because we had Steve Colley there as well that year, didn't we? As, he was you know, brilliant.
0: He jumped off the uh, bus uh, as yeah. a backup. And
2: he was he was he was our backup that year. Yeah, it all changed <laughs> around. So <laughs> no offence, uh, yeah, no offence, Steve. No, it was it was a great sort of double act, really. And uh, we had to come up with all sorts of new stunts because we knew that what we what the guys had done the previous year wasn't going to cut it up at Anken Stadium. So that's when we had to start thinking of props and making various things and contraptions and things like that. So that's how it all started to. Uh, you know, it started to grow from there the first year, and then you know it, it went from there, didn't it? Yeah. And well, what
1: was it? What was it like, Jim? You know, for them first times in front of the crowd, just being sort of normal motorbike fellas. Awesome, I would say. It, it
2: was. To be honest, I I felt really nervous. You know, I'd never performed in front of a crowd before, and you know, I thought I think the first year we had three or four thousand people there in mm-hmm. the crowd, and to be honest, you get kind of nervous. You're almost like you're on stage. You know, you're like a you know you're performing. And um, and it was it was a bit nerve wracking, but at the end of the day, the boys all had a few beers and we relaxed (laughs) ourselves, and uh, we just went out there and just did. We had a a set list of what we were going to do, and it just went to plan. And again, you know, for the following year, we thought, well, we can do something else better next year, and so that's how it snowballed.
0: Right, it grew phenomenally. One year, uh, I think it was packed out on the bank track that they used for, for the cycling years ago, that was packed. Every seat, there was standing room only, and it grew to be quite a legend. Those Uncan shows were amazing. We had um, French guys, uh, a guy called Jorian Pomerev. I remember he was there, and he, he wasn't all that good, really, but uh, when he fell off, I remember shouting, Chateau Neuf-du-Pape, everyone! And uh, the crowd stood <laughs> up and cheered. I don't know why, but they did anyway, but that that was a bit of the history of Ogden Stadium. And when we eventually started to get the White Helmets, who I brought over, I was instrumental in bringing the White Helmets over five times. The the proper... The the real mm -hmm, thing, because it had always been my ambition to ride with them. Had they heard of you? Oh, well, amazingly, yes. And when I contacted them the first time, they readily agreed to come because... They were in awe of us, believe it or not. I know that sounds a bit naff, but they were. And uh, we made great friends amongst them, Jimmy. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, we, we, we keep in touch with a lot of them. Yeah. And what they did really was very, very good. If you look at some of the stuff they did. But a lot of people didn't realise just how good they were. Because I remember a little lad saying to me one night on the promenade, he said, huh, don't think much of the white helmets," he said. "They're not very funny, are they?" And I said, "Well, they're not meant
1: to be funny." <laughs> well, we were meant to be funny, but I don't know if we were or not. But but the tricks the the stunts that you do though, it's it it's it's not just anybody that can do them. Oh, the, absolutely. The, there are good riders in them. Oh, purple yes. Helmets to do them stunts because a lot are. of the bikes are modified, especially for some yeah. stunts, aren't they? Yeah. Some uh, of the some of the stunts really are. Very dangerous. In
0: fact, we've we've had injuries, broken bones, and
1: you, you know, when when you do your commentary, Derry, you you talk about speeds approaching one hundred mile an hour. I but never told the that, Simon. has it that <laughs> one of the bikes had a bit of a modification <laughs> by by one of the, one I, of the I, I wonderful guess. late riders, was it? It was. Course. It was. It was our
0: good friend, the late Steve Young. He, and he had a nitrous oxide kit on his Honda 90. There's actually a picture of us going over the mountain road somewhere, and uh, we are actually been overtaken by 600 Hondas and things. The next thing, Steve Young went past everybody on this Honda, <laughs> Honda 90. It was very short-lived, though, wasn't <laughs> very short-lived. <laughs> it, it lasted something like eight or ten seconds, the the nitrous, and then phew, back to normal. Yeah. But he was a great guy, Jimmy, wasn't he? He
2: was, yeah. And yeah.
1: But, but of course, um, the many years you've been doing it, it's it's had its ups and it's it's had its downs, Derry, and you were involved in one of the downs.
0: Yeah, indeed. There's been accidents and, you know, I, I was <laughs> up on the mountain road one time and I was taken very roughly from behind by a German. And <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing about it, actually, because I got very badly smashed up and the femur and collarbone ribs, the whole thing, and um, it was a police and ambulance job and well the upshot of it was I had a broken leg for nearly 10 years but uh, that that's all in the past and um, sadly the saddest part of it I suppose is when we lose someone and the first person actually to die was Steve Hislop, god bless him, he rode with us in the early days and big
2: friend of Jimmy's,
0: he, Steve was a, a very very good rider and, uh, in fact, I've still got his coat at home.
2: Got a good story about Steve actually. We were rent, uh, there was one TT that um, we were going to see the Van Morrison concert at the villa. <laughs> and of course, everybody at the time was going into the central pub at the bottom of Broadway for a beer before they went into the concert, you see. So there was us lot there. There was about again eighteen or twenty of us all walking into the pub. And the first man to the bar, it was probably Steve Collins or somebody like that, straight to the bar and orders 20 pints of bitter. And Steve's at the back shouting, lager for me, lager for me. Didn't hear him, didn't hear him. Anyway, all these pints of bitter come come out to the boys. And uh, Steve gets this, this pint of bitter and looks at it. And he said, but I wanted lager. And uh, he said, oh, the boy said, just drink it. So he drank it. And he said, aye, it's not as bad as you think.
0: <laughs> I said Ale it's not as bad as you think and in fact it w- I think it was Jimmy printed it on one of the t-shirts I did I and it's uh, it's a picture of a- Oakles Ale and Steve uh, Steve Islop and says aye Ale it's not as bad as you think <laughs> well we-, we thought the world a hizzy and when he was gone but a few of the lads have died over the years and mm, Chunk as well Chunk and yeah. Michael Alty was a, a great favourite with the crowd uh, six foot four and shock of blonde hair on him, and a wonderful rider. I think he was British Enduro champion at one stage oh. the juniors. But uh, when Mikey turned up, the party started. I think Jimmy agreed with him. Exactly,
2: was, did yeah. He was um, fantastic at people. He <laughs> <Larger it> was larger <laughs> than life, wasn't he? Larger it, than
0: life,
1: yeah. But it's great that the you know their memory live on, the the videos and things oh, they're still were. off them, yeah. And of course, you know, the the shock for some people when you. First time you introduce a new act with the with the psycho with your man playing the piano, <laughs> and everyone thinks, "Oh, this is quite novel." And then when it gets around, and there's just this big bear ass, and, you know,
0: he likes to think of it as the number one play.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he says he, he's very proud as as Finny, uh, the piano rider. He's uh, he's certainly a character. I mean, he's great. Isn't he? But, but he, you mentioned not... you mentioned,
1: uh, Steve Hislop there, the other late great Steve Hislop. But I mean, you've had people like. Bruce Anstey and Charlie Bowman in his yeah. guests, you know, champing at the bit to get on them. But Bruce is a great friend of ours. He he would ride on the pyramid today
0: and win the race tomorrow. Some of the I think some of the riders are a bit more wary of us and certainly wouldn't want to risk an injury before before the race day, but it never seemed to bother Bruce, did it Jim? No. He would he would get up there on the pyramid and, He's a great guy, Bruce Anderson.
2: Grinning from A to A, wasn't yeah. he, at the top of the pyramid? Loved yeah. it. He's just
0: one of them guys yeah. that, that yeah. everyone loves. Mm-hmm. We've, got, we've got a great history with it all. I remember one time, uh, Mr Yoshi, the the boss of Honda, he was the big boss. And one night in Honkin Stadium, I persuaded him to go in a wheelie bin in the bin race. <laughs> well, uh, Bob Macmillan was there, boss of Honda UK, an old friend of ours. And he said to me, of course... Uh, you are insured to have Yoshi in the bin, oh yes, let's let's go, well of all the bins to put him in, he was being towed by Pak Brigazzi, <laughs> and Pak's bike has the smoke machine where it's clouds of diesel smelling smoke, well the passenger in the bin gets black face and soaked in water from the puddles and whatever. And when yoshi had finished his race, he came in and when he smiled, his teeth were snow white, and all he could see was the whites of his eyes and his teeth. He was as black as a rook, and that was the big boss of Honda. We've had a great association with Honda over the years. Yeah. Well, you're using their bikes. After yeah. <laughs> all, yes, they're the most famous little motorbike in the world.
2: And now yeah. they're fetching huge amounts of money, the Honda 90. You can't buy one. You Unless get one you're going to part with two grand, really? thousand pound mm. to buy one nowadays, on you know the likes of the auction sites, and you just can't get them.
1: But did the bikes? I mean, the, one of the, the low points, I suppose, as well, was all the bikes where they were stored with all your gear. There was a fire one year, if I remember. There was a big fire. Yeah, well, luckily,
0: all the stunt guys and the main men have their own bikes at home. And it was all the the props, like the, the rollover bike and the long bike and the, the sidecar and the wheelie bins. They all went up in a big fire at Wilson
2: and Collins. Cost uh, thousands of pounds of improvements, though, didn't yeah, it? <laughs>
0: it, it, it was rumoured at the time <laughs> that the fire was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> but there was hours and hours of work in some of these these things, and. Um, the thought of them at the time—I think we'd developed a high bike, a long bike, a rollover bike. Well, the high bike wasn't very successful, was it, Jimmy? No. Kept bringing the phone wires down as we went through. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about the rollover bike? Did it take much? Um, you know, the d- design development. Who was, was the test pilot?
2: Well, we, the builder. Yeah. <laughs> Steve Collins, of course, had the Wilson and Collins um, factory down there, and he. Uh, he built the first rollover bike and they just bent these tubes over and then we th- and then he thought right we're well, going to have to attach these to the bike so you know they they worked out a, a circumference of this particular uh <laughs> bit of
1: science maths oh, in, oh yeah. yes
2: yeah. yes it must have taken about the matchbox was only fairly small wasn't it <laughs> it, was, it, but, uh, it, it
0: was measured out in cubits i think it was that yeah. far
2: back but uh, we still got it it doesn't it, it Over the years, it got bent out of shape because, you know, the force to actually get the thing to roll over, it started to bend the the, the steel. And the guy that does the rollover did a, well, what we decided was a world record one year. He did four
0: rolls. It's absolutely amazing. He's the best at it, and there's no doubt about that. Our own little stuntman, Gary Gary Flowers, he's absolutely incredible on the rollover bike. In Anken Stadium one night, he did four rollovers, which, to do that, it had to be tramping on to start with. It had to be going at a fair old lick. And um, I remember it getting up to three, and I said, three, three and a half, and it was nearly over, and eventually it just went to the last bit and such a cheer so from toppled the crowd. all over, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Derry Kizik and Jim Davidson from the Purple Helmets giving their memories of the Purple Helmets with this year going to be their final year performing together. Join us next Tuesday for part two where Derry and Jim talk about uh, troubles with the police in the Czech Republic and also a funny story when they met up with Prince William here on the Isle of Man.